Welcome back to the United Pubcast, Manchester United 4, Raul Batiste 1, and thank God that is the case because this is going to be a far more enjoyable chat than um, a couple of days ago after the Anfield debacle, but um, ultimately I'm not sure if this is an apology from the players. Obviously it'll take a lot to fix what happened on the weekend, but ultimately it might take baby steps to get in that direction, but ultimately that is exactly what we needed. Larry, we needed Man United to bounce back, not only with the comprehensive win, which pretty well sets us up nicely for the second leg, but also a good performance, I thought. Now, yes, the one or two potential negatives we can get into, but ultimately, compared to what we saw on the weekend, uh, I'm not sure we could ask for much more than we um, got at Old Trafford. No, we can't, Tom. Uh, United started cagey, didn't they? And, and it definitely looked like they were conscious they had just been on the receiving end of a 7-0 drumming. But what I will say is, um, once United scored... Well, not, not even after the first goal. I think once they conceded, actually, they definitely went back into their shell. Um, and, and I think that shows the mentality difference from Liverpool, where I thought United... And we've seen this under Ten Hag time and time again, haven't we? It's when United concede, they continue to play football regardless. But I think that sometimes to our detriment, there was a different mentality here. And I thought United, when they looked to get the second goal, they did. And once it got out to 3-1, the confidence was back and uh, we saw some really good football. Well, we'll start, obviously, all these match reviews. We'll, we'll go through performances, 3-2-1s at the, at the end and everything. But ultimately, we always start in and around the start in 11. Now, before the game, we said there's no way anyone is going to pick this start in 11 because there's going to be changes. Is he going to make 11 changes? Is he going to make half the changes? No one knew, but obviously, there's going to be changes. Something had to happen. Now, obviously, there was always the potential situation where he was going to throw every player back out there and say, you got us into this mess, you fix it. And ultimately, that is the... Um, sort of route Eric Ten Hag did take, and I don't disagree with it. Um, I think that potentially if you look at players on the bench, they'll be looking, hang on, and they're, I think they're particularly right as well. But I think Eric Ten Hag is also right in sticking with those players and um, throwing them back out in the deep end. So when you did see the team selection and saw there was no changes, he threw all the players back out. Um, your initial thoughts? Um, I was a little worried, to be honest. Um, I thought... Particularly when that where that goal went in, Perez was it who scored? Mm. Um, I, I was worried. I thought United looked groggy, didn't they? They, they looked against the ropes. We, we gave them a lot of possession, and you could see the scars from the weekend were there. I think there was almost a case of, oh, are we going to concede another one here? Are we going to concede another one here? It's definitely a nervous energy, and you could hear it almost in, in the Old Trafford crowd that there was a nervous energy in the stadium. Um, but, yeah, thankfully it did turn out positive for United. Anthony, can I say, Tom, on Anthony? I know we'll get into individual performances. I find him the most frustrating player I can think of in recent history because I find him so limited. But the one thing he is good at, he's brilliant at. And when he strikes a ball, I don't think there's many better sights in football. I think Anthony's one of those players. I think we knew that is is what he says on the tin. I think it's almost one of those players like Anani, like you know you're going to get absolute brilliance and you know you're going to get absolute moments of frustration. And I think that is one of those players. That's that's the price you pay. If you want the ball to curl into the top corner of his left foot, well, you're going to have to deal with one or two other maybe limitations in his game. I think that is. But we'll touch on Anthony. Guess what a goal. Well, my first reaction when he put that in the top corner, I said, okay, that must have taken a deflection watching the replay, a cleaner strike as you do like. But, Stephen, here, good to see you, mate. Morning, boys. Uh, that's one way to bounce back. 100% it was. Um, very happy man here today. But, like, just back on that start in 11 in regards to whether we agree, disagree, Eric Ten Hag's view, his motives. I believe, now, I would have made changes. 
but I also believe in Eric Tenau that was also the right decision as well. Um, it's one of those ones you're never going to be sort of satisfy everyone. But looking back now, I agree. Okay, the players got us into this mess. Um, they can get us get us out. However, while I'm thinking that is the right decision. I also look at the bench, and no, I'm not. I'm not clamouring for these players to come into the start and line up. But let's say a um, Harry Maguire or a Victor Lindelof, or let's say we had another striker. Let's say Anthony Marshall was fit, sort of thing. All those players on the bench at Anfield, they would be looking at everything. Well, hang on, these players lost seven nil, and I'm not getting my chance. Like, what sort of punishment is that? So, look, I, I do agree with playing the start in eleven again, but I also look from the bench point of view. I think they're very right, or would be justified in feeling very pissed off with their Ten Hag. And I think that's maybe just the life of a Manchester United player and the sort of realities of elite football. But um, can you see both sides of it? I, I can. I, I definitely can. But in saying that, is there a player who didn't play today that you thought deserves to start or deserves yeah, to yeah, start? No. Like, you know what I mean? I think there have been times this season for the likes of Maguire, Lindelof, uh, etc., to push their case to be as part of the starting eleven, And they've shown that there is a drop-off. I'm just so, thinking off the back of seven. We didn't lose at Liverpool. We lost seven nil. I'm just thinking. It was an anomaly, Tom. I mean, it was just one of those games. Like I remember Manchester City 6-1 under Fergie. And it was just – it's one of those games where the team doesn't play bad. It's just once they start going in, they start going in. and Because you got to remember, Liverpool had eight shots on target. In, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a lot. It's actually quite – normally, if a team has eight, they might score one or two. Liverpool scored seven. So there's an anomaly there. And – United, to be fair, looked leggy. I don't think a fit, firing, rest, well-rested team concedes those sorts of goals at, at, at Anfield. So there is a bit of context to be had there. And uh, Ten Hag challenged his team, so it was only right that the same group of players put a, you know, corrected their errors. Yeah, definitely. George here, good to see you, mate. Hope all is well. Morning, lads. Need to put those shooting boots on. I was a bit worried at sort of a 2-1. You think, oh, God, in terms of second leg, I know away goals don't count. But you think, okay, maybe can we sort of, you know, sort of get a little bit of a buffer to make the second leg more comfortable? But ultimately, 4-1 now. Look, let's not say tie over, but we're pretty confident as Manchester United, no matter what our record is in Spain, of going over there and getting the job done. So it was very important, those um, two late goals. Um, to create that buffer, Chris, good to see you, mate. Strut, strut in, chest out, Canton style. Far more confident than um, Monday morning, that's for sure. And Stephen as well. I thought that Eric Ten Hag may have tried Lindelof in the right back um, post for this one. Seen Delow in the lineup made me a little nervous. Okay, we'll just crack on with there. We'll, we'll move forward in that start eleven debate to right back, Larry. Every week it's Delow or Wambasako. Whoever plays, you think, oh, yeah, okay, I can see why he's playing that. Then at halftime, you think, oh, maybe should we change it? Eric Ten Hag changes it. And then next week, Aaron Wan-Bissaka will start and we'll think, well, hang on, should Diego Delo start? And Eric Ten Hag will change it at halftime. I'm just thinking your current thoughts around what Eric Ten Hag is thinking at right back. Um, honestly, I think he's losing confidence in Diego Delo. I, I, that's how I view it. Because I think he started the season so well, but there's been a clear drop-off. And I think defensively particularly, it reminds me of, again, I don't, I don't like going too hard on players, but you know, I've got to assess what I see, Tom, and... What I see with Diego Delo is there's a, a, an improvement in his game defensively, but I still think he, he's definitely a risk. He's, he's the weakest link in that defense, undoubtedly. And I think what he offers with the ball, while it's better than Aaron Wambasaka, I wouldn't call him a Cancelo level right back or a fullback. You know, I wouldn't call him a, a Kyle Walker's level of fullback. So when I look at his ability on the ball, is it good enough to justify keeping Aaron Wambasaka out of the side? I don't think so. I'd actually go. I've got a player here who defensively gives me world-class 
And then on the ball, he gives me mediocre versus a player who just seems to be okay at everything. So I, I think Aaron Wambasaka is going to push his way into being first choice, and I think that's the right decision. We'll be interested when the transfer market comes around because obviously a lot of the talk around striker and Harry Kane or Mbappe sort of thing, but right back was always a sort of potential priority in, in the summer and we never sort of quite got round to it. We're thinking the futures, okay, Diego Delo came in under Ralph Frank and sort of cemented that first choice so that when Aaron Wan-Bissaka was out the door. So there was a definite need, but then Wan-Bissaka took his chance and um, is back in. Borche, good to see you, mate. Football capital, Aaron Wan-Bissaka has improved a lot. And pretty lot. It's like a new sign. It's it's an interesting one with Wambasal because he was he just it's it's not a dramatization. It's not too dramatic in just saying he was out the door. He wasn't he wasn't making match day squads when he was fully fully fit. Eric Ten Hag just said no. You're not part of my plans. And ultimately, through necessity, he had to, he had to come back in, and he's taken his chance. And look, could you imagine other players, whether it be Ronaldo or any other players, Paul Pogba or Marcus Rashford, when he was once or twice on the bench. The rumours and leaks coming out from the dressing room that he's not happy, he's looking from everywhere. You'd never heard that from Aaron Wan-Bissaka's camp. And I just seen credit to Aaron Wan-Bissaka for sort of fighting for his Man United career because it was was sort of facing the exit door. So um, oh, long, long may that continue. That All you can ask for is when a player gets out there and they put their best foot forward um, for the badge and sort of fight for us. And Aaron Wan-Bissaka does that. But so I agree with Borja. It does sort of feel like that new like a new signing, even though a lot of us do hate that term. I think with Wan-Bissaka pretty much was. Vin, good to see you, mate, as always. And, yeah, agreeing with Delo being very disappointed in the last few games. I would like to put Delo's – and, look, there's a very genuine discussion to have around Delo's future. I would like to put down a little bit of bad form. He was brilliant at the start of the season. So we'll see in, in this running if he can find a little bit of form back. It's obviously off the back of a sort of a big World Cup for him and an injury. So time will tell. But um, anything else in regards to the start 11 before we get into the game? Obviously, midfields, you'd assume that kind of picks itself in regards to – a so-called first choice at the moment in regards to Casimir and Fred. I thought Bruno, I was asked a question in the stream I did the other night in terms of my opinion on Bruno's position. And I said, yeah, ideally if I'm playing, I'll play him in central midfield just with a little bit of license to go forward, not sort of starting in the number 10 position, but a little bit deeper as where he plays for Portugal, but still getting into the box and affecting the game. And in my opinion, that's where I did see him line up a lot of today, pretty quite deep for... Um, it's the way Eric Ten Hag has utilised Bruno Fernandes in, in midfield recently. So just your thoughts on that midfield trio, uh, trio I should say, and um, Bruno's role in that. Because in my opinion, when we get in the 3-2-1s, Bruno was the one uh, really bounced back in style. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting point you make on Bruno, Tom. I actually agree with you 100%. If someone said to me, what's Bruno Fernandes' best position? You look at his skill set, I could see him as a midfielder that sits a little bit deeper. I know there's a sentiment at the moment that United need this box-to-box midfielder. Can I ask you the question? Do you think Bruno Fernandes could fulfill that job? And if if so, do you then shift your focus and think, do we look to deploy a 4-3-3 in the future and then go for another central midfielder? Or do you look for another prototype number 10? Or do you think we're actually all right with number 10s if you look at Sancho, Martial, if he can find a way to stay fit, um, Veghorst being able to fulfill that position? I still think Bruno needs to be that creative spark. I think in terms of bringing in that box-to-box, someone who can do a little bit of both, you need a little bit more sort of, I wouldn't say reliability, but a bit more composure and, and sort of sort of possession-based. discipline. Yeah. Well, well, that is also, and Bruno is that player who loses the ball in that creative sort of edge. He is that player risk-taker. Oh, but if, on, that, on that point, do you think that's actually because he's playing further up? Because I think if you pull him a little bit deeper, I actually yeah, think he'll he be more conscious of keeping the ball. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And look, that, that's something he'll have to improve his game on. Well, whether he has that, I'm sure he does have that in his locker, what he wants to achieve in the game. I'm not sure. Uh, at the moment, I'll be still bringing in someone to replace. So, well, it might be Sabitzer potentially. So I'm going to replace Fred McTominay in that start in 11 next to Casemiro and, and Bruno as well. I think if you can have Casemiro as that anchor, Bruno as that creative spark, no matter if he's higher or deeper, but he can be that creative one. And then that ideal replacement for whether it be Sabitzer or a Jude Bellingham or, or who knows, but that type of player I think needs to be a little bit more sort of safer than Bruno Fernandes. And that's not to say Bruno Fernandes isn't right not to be safe with, um, or risky with the ball, but I think you can't have two of them. I don't think you can say, Bruno, okay, you're going to be our box-to-box and we have a number 10 as well. Then that may be a little bit like when we played Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes together, look good on paper, then we always thought, oh, maybe it's not quite sort of working in reality. So I think that's interesting now. Front three was obviously Anthony Vedcourt and Rashford. It was good to see Rashford back out on the left. Weird with Rashford, sort of. It's one, when he's through the middle, I want him back on the left. When he's on the left, I sort of want him through the middle. But he did take his sort of rightful position on the left, and obviously um, came up with the first goal. Um, nicely taken goal, to be fair. To be yeah, centrally exactly. <laughs> and um, just your thoughts on that front three. We'll, we'll get into Vedcourt, and I'm sure we'll you know, touch on his goal as well. Vedcourt, look, he's dominated the headlines like Bruno Fernandez this week in regards to the Anfield sign. Made my feelings. It's a nothing incident, but it is something for Manchester United fans, and no I doubt. And I think everyone's seen on Instagram he does follow Liverpool, so I don't think there's any hiding from the fact that he has a great respect for Liverpool and Anfield. And he wasn't the, the excuse was embarrassing in terms of something to do with Virgil Van Dijk. That I think everyone saw through that. He's obviously well, the more you look into it. In a previous interview I did a few years ago, he's a Liverpool fan. I'm not gonna. I don't hate him for that, or I don't. It's not get out of my club. He gives his all for Manchester United. That's all I can. All I can sort of ask for and all I care about. He gives his all for Manchester United. Whether that's good enough or not, that's up for debate. But um, he gives 100% and um, ultimately did deserve a goal today. I thought he's very unlucky with a few chances. But um, I think that chance, he it was going in the bottom corner, took a deflection and the referee gave a goal kick. But um, ultimately deserved a goal and you can tell by his celebration, not just his celebration, but the players as well. Um, they do appreciate what he does. Yeah, I think so. Um, and, and he does work hard. Um, their course is a really interesting player. I, I, I think if he is third choice as a striker for Manchester United, I think we're in a good spot because I, I think back to the, the 99, the 99, 2000 period. I remember obviously Rooney, but because at one point we had Rooney, Berbatov, Ronaldo, who I, I know when in Europe, he at least played as a striker. Uh, who else did we have at the time? Louis Saha. Um, am I missing someone, Tom? In in uh, 08, 09, who did we have as strikers? We had Tevez, Saha, Rooney, Ronaldo. I feel like there's someone else that's skipping. Saha, Saha would have left in 08, 09, I believe, from memory. We would have Tevez, Berbatov, Rooney, Ronaldo. Yeah, yeah, the front four. Yeah, like, Danny, Welbeck, Danny Welbeck came in Welbeck. halfway through the season. Yeah, I mean, but you look at the – and I know United played with what, you'd, what maybe you'd call a two-striker system. I'd argue we didn't. Uh, Rooney is what Bruno is now. And um, obviously Rooney was more prolific and you could argue played further forward. But nonetheless, the principle is the same. I think if United can get back to having three strikers, three number nines, I think they'd be in a good spot. It'll be really interesting. We've obviously seen links with um, Oshiman and Harry Kane come out over the last day or so. And I think if United can get one of those, I actually could see Martial staying, to be honest. I, I could see him being a backup because he's been so injury ravaged. I don't see... A lot of players looking to get him. If if you're Martial, you might think, I, I th- while he won't be happy to be a backup, I think that's up to him. So if you can go into next season with Harry Kane, 
Martial and Veghorst as your strikers, I think United are in a very strong position. I think the striker debate is in, in which we'll have plenty of those in future weeks, but a lot of people are turning their nose up at Harry Kane at the moment, so not too old. I think, well, okay, you can have an opinion if he's too old, though that's a valid opinion. I disagree, but I look at it and think, well, what do you want, too old, or do you want Veghorst in two goals in what's he played, 15 games or something? I just, that, that, that's a difference. Now, that, that's not a criticism. That's not too harshly a criticism of uh, Veghorst. It's just the reality. Harry Kane is going to guarantee you 25, 30 goals throughout that position. So I'm at the moment leaning towards Harry Kane um, in regards to striker debate, but that's a discussion for another day. Just comment here from Vin before we get into sort of more positives and 3 2 ones. The one negative from today, Larry. David De Gea. Look, I know, I'm a fan of David De Gea. I know you like him, but there's obviously always a debate around moving um, to the future in terms of a ball-playing goalkeeper. What I took from De Gea's passing today, one of them I just laughed. I was like, oh, my God, if that went in, he would have been sub probably for Tom Heaton. It was a shocking pass. I, I felt it was – and look, this is obviously – we can have a proper discussion around the future, around the goalkeeper, but just the isolated match, he felt like a player who – Look, he doesn't have the support of the fan base. Obviously, a lot of the fan base absolutely grill him online and look, there's that nervous energy around him at the moment sort of thing. So he looked like a player who needed support. And every time he got the ball or Martinez of Rome had the ball, he said, don't pass it. There was a, there was a time Diego Delo had a shot at him, for God's sake. Diego Delo, like sort of tried to lob him and he had to use his head to clear it. And I think he just did not want the ball. And every time he got the ball, he said, God, the fans, I'm going to lose this ball. I'm going to lose it, bang. And he passed it and lost the ball. Now, ultimately, that's his responsibility. He has to do a lot better. But um, I felt for him there. But his passing today uh, really highlighted a weakness. Yeah. No, you you are right. Um, sorry, Tom. You did, you did cut out a little bit there. Are you, are you talking about Anthony there? No, um, David De Gea. Sorry if I cut out there. Gea, David sorry. De Gea. Just in regards to nervousness, he didn't want the ball. Does that I time Diego? Delo, I'm like Anthony. Oh. <laughs> where um, Diego Delo tried to lob him, and he's like, I don't want this. Like, he was just never. He didn't want the ball from the first whistle. I think this is what's gonna. I don't want to be dramatic here. I think this might be what kills De Gea's Manchester United career. Uh, just he's he's a brilliant shot stopper world class to be honest i don't think there's a better shot stopper in world football to this day but his limitations on the ball and we've seen this more recently i think ten hugs tried to encourage him to play out but he's he clearly struggles with it and it it's not an ability thing the, the way that pass went straight into the Rio Betis play. I know like you, you laugh cuz it was like it almost looks intentional you know what that is it's an anxiety on the ball He's obviously yeah. full of anxiety before he's passing, and it's yeah. just, and he's ang he's anxious because it's not natural to him. And I think if it's going to impact United in terms of how Tan Hag wants to play, I think United can play that further ten meters up the pitch if you've got a more confident goalkeeper. And unfortunately, it might hold us back. So, and when you talk about you know like most most fans find Anthony frustrating, most fans find Sancho frustrating. You know what makes those players better? having more possession and playing further up the pitch, getting them playing in tighter areas, then they'll look brilliant because that's what they're good at. And I think as long as David De Gea is our goalkeeper, he's actually not allowing us to play to the strengths of the team. So it's it's a big decision for Eric Ten Hag to make in the summer because he's not a massive weakness, but he definitely impacts the way we play. Yeah, definitely. Stephen, he's saying 12 years at Man United, he's still a keeper. If he's there, a goalkeeper techniques have changed and De Gea, De Gea has come perhaps as far as he can. Well, it's very interesting. When De Gea, De Gea came in 12 years ago, he was the best goalkeeper in the league with his feet. And I think that really highlights how much the game has changed. And I think it's very interesting. Let's say that 
the other side, the, the other goalkeeper who came in when Pep Guardiola came in replaced Joe Hart. And I'm just looking at him and thinking, okay, he was brought in to sort of play great football for Manchester City. He had one problem. He couldn't catch the ball. He couldn't stop the ball when the ball went near the Manchester City net. So it does find that balance. Okay, David Hay is not going to be able to provide that passing. But if you want that better goalkeeper with his feet, the price you're going to pay is you're going to concede 15 goals more throughout the season on shots on target. So it is that fine balance. What do you want to score? Do you want to score five or ten ten more goals through good football, uh, playing out from the back? Or do you want to concede five or ten more through a goalkeeping errors, which David De Gea sort of won't really provide? So, But it is an interesting one. A performance like that, you definitely can't sort of shy away or hide from anyone's argument saying you want to move David De Gea on. I think it's not cut and dry, as you alluded to. I think there are sort of more pressing issues in the squad at the moment and they need to be addressed. If Eric Ten Hag feels the need to address it, 100% back him. I just don't think in regards to weighing up a priority list, it's not quite there for me. But before 3-2-1s, Larry, um, any other talking points in regards to the game? There was obviously the Betis goal. A lot of people saying it was definitely a handball. Now, look, I'm as biased as any Manchester United fan. I'll look for any excuse to disallow a goal. Not, yes, it hit his hand, but for me. Now, if that was at the other end, obviously, Man United, the goal would have been disallowed if that was Rashford or Bruno. We've seen that multiple times this season. I didn't really have a big issue with the goal being allowed. Like, no, a lot of people say it was a handball for, for me. It's much of a muchness, so I wasn't losing any sleep over it. But anything else in regards to the game or performance collectively you want to touch on? No, Tom. Um, look, I think it was a, a professional performance by United. Once again, once that second goal went in, really happy. And I'm happy Veghorst got his goal, to be honest. I, I feel bad for him. You know, every time I see him shoot, I'm just like, you poor bastard. This just feeds into the, the narrative. I felt like Diego fall in to me today. Just like he's getting the chance and he just, he's going to miss. Yep, he missed. And it was just, it was through no lack of trying. And he's doing actually quite well to get into those positions. It just had a feeling like you're not going to score, mate. And I think that was ultimately the players had that feeling as well. I remember sometimes, I think earlier in the season, Ronaldo had a barren spell and the players were trying to find Ronaldo to get him a goal. It felt like that a little bit today. They're trying, okay, Vekos, can you get on the end of this sort of thing? There was one or two times we could have played a better pass. But we're trying to find Vekos, which is ultimately a good thing because you do need your goal, goal scorer or your centre forward scoring goals and confident. So that'll help Vekos in, in coming weeks, which is a good thing. But we'll go to 3 2 ones, Larry. And um, for me, look, there's no, so I thought Bruno was brilliant. Bruno was brilliant, and he bounced back in style, didn't he? Uh, and he needed to, to be fair. And and he got he got bumped a few times, and he didn't go down today. I think mm. he knew. Um, uh, can I ask you, Tom, on Bruno as captain? We've obviously seen a lot of criticism of him. I know you've very much been in the camp of you know not thinking he should be captain, and, and not to be critical, or just you know because of the petulance and the grabbing of the face when you get smacked in the chest and. And then that kind of thing. And he obviously had two former Manchester United captains criticize him during the week. Um, what, what, if, what do you make of Bruno as captain? Do, do you maintain that he is the right choice in going into next season? Because obviously he's not the first choice captain. I think once Maguire leaves, because you know, I think that's imminent. Mm. Um, do you think Bruno does take the armband or do you see it more so maybe Casemiro of Iran or even Zahaya getting the armband? I think Casemiro's English hurts him, and, and people sort of laugh. No, no, football is a universal language. You speak with your feet. No, I think English has a huge part to play um, in terms of communication with the whole squad. Um, so Casemiro, the way he plays the game, yeah, you see that's understandable. But again, it's his first season at the club. Let's see how he um, performs in, in his second season in England um, before we start talking to Casemiro. Rafael Varane is obviously a leading candidate, and I wouldn't sort of so to begrudge him be given the armband, but ultimately I have a huge concerns. I thought he did his hamstring today when he got into a bit of a sprint. I thought he was going to do his hamstring. He's always on the verge of an injury. Now he has sort of maybe got a little bit better this season, thank God, 
in regards to his fitness record, but that would be a concern with Rafael Varane. So at the moment, as much as I'm saying he's not the ideal candidate, Bruno Fernandes is probably uh, where I sit in regards to who's the right choice at the moment. Now, is that the right choice next year? I'm not sure. See who we bring in. But as things stands, I'm happy with Bruno Fernandes as captain. I just think it's more sort of highlights the issues with our recruitment over the years and not just last one or two years or last window. I'm talking the last five, ten years in regards to the the type of characters and the attitudes we've brought in. So ultimately, at the moment, uh, I think Bruno sh- should be our captain. But in an ideal world, under Qatari owners in 10 years' time, uh, we're not having a discussion about who's the ideal captain. We should have 11 out there. And at the moment, we're kind of a little bit strong for them. So for me, that, that's where I do sit on the Bruno one. But in regards to his performance, three points. And he obviously got the goal. Um, nice little hit. You don't really expect Bruno to score headers off a corner. Obviously helped by the goalkeeper. So I think he got the assist, like as much as you can call it an assist, for the Anthony goal. Obviously, Anthony worked wonders there. But ultimately, I, I thought he needed, out of anyone in the performance. Now, the whole team needed a bounce back. We needed a result as a club. Eric Ten Hag needed the result as the manager. If there's one individual who needed a performance, and not even a big performance, just in terms of getting back to what we know, was Bruno Fernandez, and he stepped up. Yeah, no, that that's valid. Um, it will be interesting to see how it develops in the summer. I could make a case for Varane because I think as a central defender, you do get a view of the whole pitch. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I think you know he would have been at United for two years. Let's see. Let's see what happens in the summer. I'm, I'm not a fan of a new signing coming in and becoming captain straight away, so I don't think he can be anyone new. That's where I lean away from Casemiro, maybe, but then Varane is really in that same category, kind of, only a year extra. No, so. it's an interesting shout, Marcus Rashford. No. No? Why not? No. Uh, look, 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 at he's been brilliant this season. Nothing to do with his performance. The way he plays the game, one or two things sort of previously, yeah, he, he he's not a captain for me. What would you ever had? I don't know. Who was a young attacking sort of winger we've had in the past? Not Ryan Giggs because Ryan Giggs matured and changed his game and was a, d- a different kettle of fish. Um, but he changed, he obviously proved a sort of captain of the team well at times. But it was I don't know. Would you have picked in, the, in, in that team in that team with like Ferdinand, Vidic, Evra, Skulls, Giggs, and all that? Ronaldo was our best player. Would you have given captaincy to Ronaldo? No, he just no, that that's because of his behaviour, not not because of no, his no, no. Then, but, but but even ability. Let's say Ronaldo was our best player in that 07-08 team. Let's say Rashford's our best player now. Oh, we wouldn't have had Ronaldo as captain, and that's not to criticise him. Where we had brilliant leaders all over the pitch. I just think that type of play, for me, it's it's like the shirt number thing. You don't play number two up front. For me, that your wide winger isn't your captain. It's just it's one of those weird sort of football um, lingos. Outside of Harry Kane, I actually can't think of any strikers who are captain in the Premier League. So yeah, you could they, they could have a valid point there. Anyway, and look, and but the story of Marcus Rashford being captain would be brilliant. I just personally don't see it in his character. I think it would maybe take away from him, let him do what Too he's doing at the moment. At the I moment, like my, I like a I like a clean skin for a captain. I'm, I'm only joking, <laughs> of course. I was watching a fight. If anyone watches the YouTube um, channel Street Beefs, it's this sort of MMA thing. They get in the streets and have these fights. They're not saying, well, I don't know if the sanctioning behind them, but um, this guy covered in tattoos, just head to toe in tattoos, taking his shirt off. He's in there in a fight. And you hear this shout from the crowd, hit him in the tattoo. If you saw it, it would be a lot funnier than what it sounded. Like. God, it was funny when you said that. But Larry, two points. Bruno Fernandez for three points. Two points. I would be potentially saying now a little bit wasteful and frustrating. Ultimately, for the goal, and it was a very important goal, um, I would be potentially looking at Anthony. Oh, look, brilliant goal, but I thought his overall performance was frustrating, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I, no, I no, it, it looked definitely, definitely frustrating. 
I'd probably go Rashford for two points, to be honest. Yeah, I, know, well, I was thinking Rashford for, for one. I was Rashford or Vekhorst, but ultimately Vekhorst in regards to, okay, both got a goal, but what Vekhorst did through, now, again, wasteful at times as well, obviously. But I thought in terms of he deserved the goal at the end in regards to the pressure he brought Betis under. But um, Rashford, all important goal. But um, did he do enough performance-wise? Now the goal is all that counts, really. But um, I thought Vekhorst, Rashford is much of a muchness, but I thought Vekhorst got through a little bit more work. But... Uh, now, it's hard in a 4-1 win, but um, Lissandro Martinez, I also thought, had a good game. Not that Varane did anything poor, but I thought Martinez sort of bounced because he was poor at, poor at Anfield. He needed performance as well, especially around yeah. all the Liverpool banter towards him. So I thought Martinez did well. Um, let us know in the chat who you were thinking. Um, Helgon Wheels, good to see you, mate. So happy for Vout Verkhorst. Oh, workhorse. It's always hard, that Vout and Verkhorst bit. And then we can rest plays for the second leg. Yeah, we'll be interested. I don't know in Eretan Hag, though, he's going to go full strength away at Real Betis because this is a real big chance for a trophy now. And then he's gone Bruno, Anthony, and Vekos. So he agrees there on, on the Anthony. George going one Bissaka for two points. Interesting shout. I wouldn't say change the game, but um, we did look better in the second half, and that was obviously after the introduction of one Bissaka. So... Look, I'll give you two points, Larry. You, you can go the two points. I, I put Bruno forward for the three points, but um, I'll give you the four for two. He does break the deadlock, Anthony, doesn't he? I mean, in terms of impact... Just that pass, was... you, you, you sent me a message. Just that pass where he chips the keeper, it's it's the obvious... Yeah, he pass. pissed me off. That pissed me off. The commentary didn't make enough of a deal. You know, I've actually... Um, sorry, I know this isn't the, the Larry Taylor podcast, but you know what I've learned to do, Tom? When, when I watch football games now, I actually... I turn the volume right down. I don't want to listen to commentary because I feel like they actually influence the way people view the game. If you turn off commentary, you can view your own opinions. And from what I heard in the commentary, they weren't criticizing him for not squaring the ball. He needed to pass it, man. He there needed was, to pass it. He was in the wrong. So it's not a defensive entity. My, just my gut feeling of what was going through his mind, not to say it's right or wrong, but I, I could sense myself in his position. He knew the pass was the right thing. So in his mind, he's going through, he knows the pass is the right option. So in his mind, He's thinking, well, the goalkeeper knows this as well. So the goalkeeper is going to commit early and go down, which will leave me the space to dink it over him. So because it was the right option, you get caught in two minds. You think, well, not quite sure. And obviously he's ended up making the wrong decision. But that, that's not to say it was the right thing to do because obviously it wasn't. We didn't score. But I could see his line of thinking of why he sort of changed his mind last minute. And it would have been a brilliant goal. It was a nice bit of football. But ultimately the goal as well that he did score. He's, he's, got, um, some left, he's got some left foot, that kid. He does have some left foot. If only he could find his right foot, he might actually be a balanced footballer. Um, but no, look, all jokes aside, look, I think Anthony for the two points is the right shout, Tom. I mean, just because before he scored, United looked wobbly and um, I, I think we needed it. So in terms of how we go on to eventually score four, I think Anthony's a major part of that. So two points for the second goal scorer in Anthony and one point for, I'd go Marcus Rashford. Um, personally, I, I thought, like you said, I think Lissandro Martinez did have a good game. Yeah, he did. But I think I think not enough. And again, I don't want to beat Valt Veghorst for this. I think Rashford is floating around the pitch because Valt Veghorst slows the game down a lot when he gets the ball. I think, and I know Martial pisses everyone off, but I think when if Martial manages to get himself fit, I think you'll find he'll be first choice again because he brings the best out of Marcus Rashford. Um, so... Anyway, uh, and it, my point was, I think Rashford has done well to adapt his game despite Valt Veghorst kind of slowing things down. And, and because of that, well-taken goal. I don't think many players in world football score that goal at the moment. Um, I, I give one point to Marcus Rashford. 
Yeah, no, look, hard to disagree there. So we'll go some of the goal scorers. If that goes a little bit harshly done by, but yeah, it's the overall performance. He's, the work rate was there. But, um, he should still, have had a hat trick. Um, he, he's still honest. got to be punished from last week from touching the sign. So another week before Vedcourse is back on the um, the good list. But um, we'll go Rashford for one, Anthony for two, and Bruno Fernandez, captain for three. Next level here, saying Aaron Wan-Bissaka should be starting every game. There's no need for experiments with Delo. He's been crap. I think he's been crap. Um, obviously, Wan-Bissaka, I think, has moved ahead of him. But um, hopefully, Diego Delo, maybe it's just a little bit of a bit of a form slump, fingers crossed, he can sort of get back to what he was showing at the start of the season for this run-in. And um, actually, also made it, making the point that Juan Bissaka changed, changed the game at halftime. We always seem to change the game at halftime through an error. Now, it didn't happen at Anfield. Um, it went sour um, in the second half. But usually that halftime sub Eric Ten Hag makes usually does go pretty well. So um, long may that continue um, by the Dutchman. And um, as Chris says there, smash the like button. It's free to do. You are holding your phone watching this. Just bang, click. Very, um, very easy to do, and as he says, free. So um, make Larry and I's mornings um, very happy. Um, Nine thirty, a bit, little bit off to work in a few minutes, Larry. So um, before we do wrap up, anything else in regards to? I haven't looked. I saw Arsenal had a draw. I'm not sure what the Juventus result was because now we do have to start looking at. This is a potential. Well, it has always been a potential route for a trophy, but in regards to okay, we're out of the title race. We're now looking at sort of how we can get our hands on another trophy. We've got Manchester City still in the FA Cup, not to play, but they're still a potential opponent later on in the competition. Then you look now starting to look at Europa League opposition. You do have Juventus and you do have Arsenal still in the competition. So second leg, um, pretty confident in saying we are through now, which sets up a quarterfinal. Um, <laughs> we were playing in the round of 32 last week in the Europa League, so still a while to go. But um, just your thoughts in regards to the priorities for Eric Ten Hag as things stand. Yeah, I, I think the Europa League is his first choice in terms of trophies. I, I think the FA Cup should be second choice. And, and again, I love the FA Cup. I think it's massive. But I don't see the benefit in United season um, since we won the Carabao Cup. If we didn't win the Carabao Cup, I would have said go all out for the FA Cup. But I, I view it as a much of a muchness. FA Cup obviously just carrying a bit more prestige. Um, I, I think the Europa League is a is a good competition to win. It's still in Europe, that you know. So I, I would I'd prioritize the Europa League in terms of another achievable trophy. And you just again the fact we went through the best team in the competition already, mm. I, I think it would be such a disappointment for United to whimper out now. Yeah, definitely. I'm just bringing up the table here, the Premier League table in regards to, okay, let's say, which I agree with you in terms of a priority this season is probably the Europa League, then the FA Cup, and then um, obviously let, just securing that top four in the Premier League. But looking at top four, we have played 25 games. We're in third on 49 points. Liverpool are in fifth um, on 42 points, same amount of games. So a little bit of a buffer there, but there's no point, no denying Liverpool have found a little bit of form and sort of will improve. Tottenham have played a game more than us, but um, still four points behind. So we can extend that gap over Tottenham, which would um, increase the buffer on fourth and fifth. So we're in a decent, uh, not a decent position. We're in a very good position for top four. Um, Newcastle potentially starting to slide away. However, they do have a game in hand on us and they'll jump Liverpool in a fifth. So just in regards to the league, obviously we're not, not in this sort of so-called title race anymore, but how nervously, or are you confident, but is there any sort of nervous looks over your shoulder in regards to whoever's in fifth. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. If I look at the table now, look, I think United are fairly comfortable. Um, 
we've got Newcastle next in the uh, well, I know we've got Southampton obviously this coming weekend, but we've got Newcastle after Southampton. I think if we beat Newcastle, yeah. lock it up. I, I think United got top three in the bag. We're in a weird position now in the league in terms of I think we're not going to get any better than third and we're definitely not coming first. So um, I think Ten Hag can afford now to prioritise trophies a little bit. Um, yeah. insane do, do you think a little bit like it's his first season, Jose Mourinho's first season? Now, I don't think he'll do it to the extent Jose Mourinho did, but I think, yeah, Southampton home, this will be a bit of rotation this week. I think so as well. Uh, I think Marcus Rashford will start because he's the only person capable of scoring a goal. I think Bruno starts, but I could see everything behind those two players changing. I wouldn't be surprised if Harry Maguire comes in. Um, yeah, I think there'll be one change in each. So whether one centre-back, yeah. one full-back, one midfielder. So I think Casemiro yeah. will play, but maybe Sabitzer comes in. So, And I think that will be the – I think that's the right thing to do because not only you need to rotate and rest, but you need to give minutes to people who you might need. We're in a Europa League final and Fred and Casemiro are out. Okay, well, yeah. you need players with with, with minutes because Casemiro is obviously – there's always a very good chance of him being suspended in cup football. Um, so I think that is something we need to look forward to. We'll, we'll, we'll sort of look at what Eric Ten Hag is doing in regards to giving people minutes. But um, Larry, before we wrap up, um, a bit over half now, but it, always a far more enjoyable chat um, compared to when you do lose 7-0 away at Anfield. But um, Manchester United winning football matches before the weekend for us sets us up for a nice, nice weekend. And ultimately, we are playing bottom place at home um, at Old Trafford. So hopefully a very sort of enjoyable weekend for us. But um, You know why I'm excited, there? Tom? Oh, yeah, I've got one thing to hit you with, Tom. Martial's back in training, baby. It's the hope. That means, it's the that hope that kills. Well, he is back, and ultimately, you do look at you cast your mind back to when we did play very good football at the start of the season in regards to what he did bring. Now, ultimately, the, the injury is going to scupper that in two or three weeks' time. Who knows? Fingers crossed, not, but potentially a very likely scenario. Be you look at what could be the case when Veghorst gets the think, Oh, could we be better there? Martial will be better there. So ultimately, everyone else has to be playing well as well. Martial has to be fit, but um, it is a good. Like Porche was saying earlier, maybe not in the same category, but one Bissaka felt like a new sign-in. If Martial is fit for the remaining games, that will be like a new sign-in because we do need better football in that final third when, when games are tight in, term, in terms of this running, whether it be for top four or knockout football in, in Europe or the FA Cup. So um, fingers crossed Martial can get back fit. If he's back training now with the team, you would assume... My I guess think he'll, he'll be, be in Southampton squad. I think he'll yeah, be I think he'll be in the squad against Southampton. Um, hopefully, it's that game where we're three 0 up, and then come on for the last twenty minutes, last half hour, and sort of find his feet. Fingers crossed that is the case. But um, that is a debate for a discussion for another day. Whether it be Friday night pint tonight, we'll discuss with Larry. Our schedule's a little bit later, but that is a unfortunately a Monday morning game. Um, not three thirty, one thirty, which. That's almost tricky. Not morning. too bad. I mean, it, it's horrible, but... I think that's worse than the 3... Because at 3.30, you get up, and then the game finishes at 5.30. Okay, okay, you've got an early start at 5.30. The one thirty one okay, finishes at 3.30. Well, you can't start your day there. You go back to bed. So I actually prefer the 3.30 over the one on a Sunday. Um, but on a Saturday night, Sunday morning, I prefer the 1 o'clock game, if that makes any sense. It is one of those um, unfortunate challenges Manchester United fans in Australia do have. But um do appreciate everyone in Australia or wherever you are around the world tuning in, uh, whatever time it is. It is um, time for work here in Sydney, Australia. But, um, Larry, pleasure as always. Pleasure, Tom. Before I get fired, I'm going to go. So uh, cheers to everyone who's tuned in. If you're happy that um, we're risking our jobs for you, make sure you hit a like on the video and help us reach the milestone of 2K by me. Um, we're on our way, Tom. We're on our way to 2K subscribers. 
on our way, on our way, definitely. So um, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you're notified next time we do go live. Um, yeah, we'll chat to you then. Have a good day, everyone, and cheers.